Hello everybody, this is our sixth and final sermon looking at the book The Song of Songs. Today we're looking at the passage that begins in verse 5 of chapter 8 and goes through to the end in verse 14. The title for this sermon is Commitment and Christ. So here we are, we've reached the conclusion of the greatest of songs and what a journey it has been. Through the beautiful love poetry of ancient Israel, we have followed a young couple from the days of their initial attraction, through their dating and courtship, to their betrothal. We rejoiced at their wedding, delighted in their wedding night, and empathised with the trials they faced when their honeymoon was over. Through it all, we have enjoyed watching their young love grow and grow for each other. And we've learned so much wisdom from this couple along the way. We now know much more about the beautiful union of marriage that God has created. Marriage is an emotional union where anxious spouses come to find security. It is a sexual union where intimate delight acts like glue. And it is a romantic union. Whereas a couple's relationship matures, it goes on getting better and better and better. For a book that is hardly ever read, we've been amazed by how relevant it is still today and have been inspired by it to take practical steps to improve our own relationships after the trials of lockdown. So with so much learnt already, just how does the book end? What is the closing thought that the great song wants to leave us with burning in our hearts and minds? Well, it is this. The song climaxes by celebrating the key foundation that true love stands upon. Commitment. The need for commitment is what this book wants to communicate to us. As we have found right from the beginning... The wisdom of this song is that the great culmination of love is the covenant commitment of marriage. The poetry of this final section begins in a truly beautiful way. The friends of this young couple see them coming towards them and call out, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? It's a reminder to us that this young woman has been through so much. We first met her as a poor labourer, working hard in the vineyards to try and make ends meet. She was beaten down by the sun and the bullying of her brothers. And this difficult upbringing gave her some deep-seated anxieties that have kept coming to the surface throughout the song. She feared that the man she had fallen for would have no interest in her. She feared seeming too pushy as she tried to get to know him. She feared being apart during their engagement. She feared leaving the safety of home and parents, a fear that continued into the early days of her marriage. Truly, this young woman has had a tough start in life. She has been through the wilderness. But now, wonderfully, she is alone no more. She has found love, she has found security, 
This young woman has found a man who will give his all to help her flourish and become the best that she can be. A man who will always be by her side, ready to encourage and support. No wonder she leans onto and into him as he brings her up from the wilderness into a fertile garden of delight. Interestingly, this young wife does not answer her friend's question in verse 5. Rather, her thoughts are concentrated solely on her lover and the matchless love that unites them. After celebrating the beginnings of their relationship, she launches into a pledge of the deepest commitment to her husband. It's worth hearing verses 6 to 7 again because they are stunning. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. She wants her husband to know that her love for him is utterly assured and she uses the strongest possible language to communicate this. Her love for him is sealed. In the ancient world they used to seal letters with wax. The seal was personal and marked the unique writer who owned the contents. Well from now on she belongs to her lover. In fact her loving him is as inevitable as death. You cannot avoid it and it will never compromise. Her love is jealous, but in a good way. It will never yield and will brook no rivals. She will only ever have eyes for him. Her love is holy and pure, like a burning and unquenchable fire. Her love is priceless. You cannot set any material value on it or offer anything in exchange for it. Her love will go on and on and on. This is her vow, the ancient equivalent of for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for as long as we both shall live. As we drink in her words, we are in no doubt that this is a lifelong covenant commitment that she is announcing here, and it is beautiful. Now, the reality is that when you have made a commitment like this, it changes the way that other people see you. And this is what the poetry of verses 8 to 12 is all about. In verses 8 and 9, the friends of this devoted wife cast their minds back to how she was as a young, immature girl. As if looking at old photos, they remember her as an unmarried virgin portrayed by the imagery of a wall and closed door. But it is evident that that immature girl is now gone. The wife announces, I was an undeveloped girl, but my breasts are now fully grown. I was a closed door, but now I have opened to bring contentment and wholeness to my lover. This is a statement of maturity. She has given her very self in the fullest of ways to her husband, the one that she loves. And she's done this to give him pleasure and because she knows her life is more secure in his hands. 
In our modern marriage services, we have a line that speaks of this mutual giving away that happens between husband and wife. On their wedding day, both spouses declare, With my body, I honour you. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. In other words, everything I have is yours. You have my very best. There can be no greater commitment than that. After these expressions of undying commitment, the book then ends in verse 14 with something of a cliché. The couple leap off over the hills into the sunset together. Only this is not just a cliché. There is something profound here. In a way, this ending is no ending at all. Just the continuation of the journey. There will always be more for them to find out about each other. There will always be new ways for their relationship to grow. Now that they are married, their love is not over. Rather, because they are utterly committed to one another, their love has only just begun. Many adventures lie ahead, many challenges to overcome. But together they will face them. And because of that, the joy we have read of in abundance over the last five weeks will always return. So why is it that this great song concludes with the pledge of covenantal love? Why is understanding this covenant commitment so important for marriage? Well, quite simply, because Song of Songs knows that we as human beings will never know the full depth of love and joy that God has made possible for us until we have given ourselves away completely. It's only when we love with self-giving commitment and sacrificial passion that we begin to taste the best that human love can be. As human beings, the greatest gift we can ever bestow on someone else is to give ourselves in undying love. The Song of Songs is then a profound challenge to the society we live in. As the poetry celebrates what marriage really should be about, it calls us to radically review what we do. Sadly, we live in an age where relationships are seen as transient and temporary. Love is self-indulgent and superficial, and instant gratification is the goal of all things. We live in an age where romance is dead, and the great gift of sex has been wholly separated from the love that it has been designed for. In the face of this cheapening and commercialization of love, Song of Songs shows us love at its deepest, the love that our Creator wants us to experience. Let's go back through those wonderful verses 5 to 7 to see the difference. First of all, committed love is passionate Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, it is jealousy unyielding as the grave. The love that God has designed is sealed in physical intimacy, affection and romance. It is always other person focused. Sex is the seal of something, not the gratifying of yourself off the body of another. The love of a spouse always seeks the pleasure of the other more than they seek it for themselves. 
Second, committed love is pure. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Those verses could be speaking about God's holy fire, that which he appeared in to the likes of Moses. It's spotless, perfect, and burningly bright. Committed love, then, is kept uniquely for your beloved in marriage. As Song of Songs has shown us many times, sex before marriage is like trampling all over a flowerbed. You cannot do it without damaging something that would have been far more beautiful in the long run. This love waits because this love is pure. Third, the committed love that God wants for us is permanent. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. True love cannot be washed away or sold off. Much of the imagery of Song of Songs has been idyllic. That has been deliberate to show how healing and restorative it can be. The imagery of the garden throughout the song has been reminiscent of the Garden of Eden before the fall. It has been to show us just how good God's plan for human love, marriage and sex is. But here a note of reality cuts in. Throughout our married lives, love will encounter many forces that threaten to destroy it. Many of these forces will be chaotic and unpredictable, just like surging floodwaters. I don't know what you have encountered in your marriage, but I'm sure that some of us will have faced times of separation and anxiety unemployment and financial crisis, ill health and bereavement, broken dreams and maybe even childlessness. Some of us may even have encountered great sin that has damaged our marriage relationship in a number of ways. But true love always overcomes. It cannot be put out. It cannot be swept away. The marriage vows hold firm. The love that God wants for us is permanent. Finally, the love that God wants for us is utterly profound. There's one section of the poetry in this final part of the song that I've not mentioned yet. It came in verses 11 and 12. Let me read them to you. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hammon. He let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. Solomon was a very famous king, perhaps the best known after King David. He was often a very wise king, but he had a fatal flaw. Solomon objectified women. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Do you see that title, Baal Hamon? It means the pagan lord of a crowd. A very appropriate title for Solomon and his harem. Solomon knew nothing of the love celebrated in his song. He thought love could be bought and sold like vineyard fruit. He thought women were objects to gratify his desires and could be loaned in as property. The book ends with an explicit criticism of this behaviour. It is abhorrent to the Lord. The committed covenantal love that a husband and wife share together is so profound. It points past the wisdom of our leaders. It points past the powerful kings and queens in the land. Ultimately, it is so profound, it points to God himself.
the king of all kings. You see, when we live in covenantal commitment, when we give ourselves away completely to another in love as married spouses do, not only do we begin to taste the best that human love has to offer, we get to experience something of God's love for us. Marriage reveals the character of our creator, selfless, self-giving, utterly faithful, eternally forgiven. Truly the love that God wanted human beings to know in marriage is the closest we will ever come to his love for us. It will take the rest of the Bible to explain this mystery in full, but just listen to some of these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus said, you are my friends. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is the depth of love that marriage points towards. The love of God that sent Jesus, his only son, to rescue us, heal us and bring us through to eternal life. Marriage gets us to see through the behaviour of people like Solomon and directs us to God himself. What could be more profound than that? So we say again, the committed love that God wants us to know in our relationships is passionate, pure, permanent and profound. Just like his love for us. This type of love is very good news to a world that has lost its sense of direction and is being damaged every day through the way committed relationships are downplayed. At the very beginning of this series, six weeks ago, I asked us a question. How did we feel about reading this book together? Were we excited about doing something new? Were we hopeful to learn and improve our relationships? Were we worried about talking about sex so openly? Were we fearful that we would be hurt by this book due to our own difficult experiences of singleness, divorce and bereavement? There were a range of feelings, I know. But I wonder how you feel about the Song of Songs now. Hopefully we all understand it a bit better. But how do you feel? Are we frustrated? That our marriages are so pale in comparison to the colour we have found here? Are we sad that we're not experiencing love like this? I want to finish by saying that this book was not included in scripture to taunt us with something unobtainable, but rather to inspire us on. If our marriages are at a low ebb, or if we're suddenly aware that we're not following God's pattern for sex and relationships, we should not give up or get lost in a cloud of shame. In God, there is always hope. 
There is always forgiveness on offer. There is always help available. Let us ask God to breathe new life into old marriages. Let us ask his Holy Spirit to help us put into practice all that we have learnt. Let us really commit to our spouse. Let's celebrate them and show our appreciation for them in private and in public. Let's rediscover romance, maybe even having a second honeymoon. Let's regularly seal our union sexually, seeking the greatest pleasure of the other. Let's not just put this book down and forget. Let's really do these things. They'll bring a blessing. And even if we're not married ourselves, let's all acknowledge that marriage deeply matters. As a church, we must protect it and speak up for it. And as we will all know people who are married or who are seeking marriage, let us pray earnestly for their relationships. Remember, marriage is God's gift to show us the depth of his love and passion for us. Every marriage within the church helps prepare us for the day when Jesus will return and we as a collective will form his bride on earth. One day we will really see what all this has been about and that should encourage us all. Ultimately, marriage should be committed because through Christ, God is committed to each and every one of us. No matter who you are listening to this, know that you are loved in this way.